This is Defenders TV Podcast, episode 181, about Iron Fist 207, Morning of the Mindstorm. Welcome back, fellow Defenders. We're on episode 181 of our podcast, and we're talking about Iron Fist 207, Morning of the Mindstorm. I'm one of your hosts for Defenders TV Podcast, Derek. Hi, I am one of your other hosts, John. And rounding out this beautiful trio, I am the final host, Chris. Yes, what a mindstorm of an episode this was. Mm -hmm. Indeed. Uh, Yes, interesting episode, for sure. Um, I cannot wait for us to get into our spoiler-filled review of Morning of the Mindstorm. Emphasis on storm. (laughs) Yeah, really looking forward to it. Again, as always, make sure that you've watched the episode before you come and join us for this podcast. And if you're not subscribed to the podcast yet, make sure you go over to our website at DefendersTVPodcast.com. Choose one of the subscribe buttons on any good or evil podcast catcher. With that, Derek, what are some of the episode details for episode seven of season two of iron fist morning of the mindstorm well as always the episode name came from another comic book came from marvel premiere number 25 from 1975 in the issue it was the first issue of iron fist drawn by john byrne Uh, iron fist is attacked by the mind altering illusion caster angar the screamer and he teamed up with Raphael Scarf, a character unfortunately nowhere to be seen anymore uh, on the shows. Uh, but they teamed up together to find a kidnapped Colleen Wing. And it was the final issue before it went into Iron Fist number one. So loads of reasons to check out that episode. Uh, Angar the Screamer. I think I recognize that character from um, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., weirdly. Okay. Yeah, I think that character was in an episode of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. But... There you go. That's the episode name. Uh, The episode itself was directed by Stephen Sergic, who we've talked about many, many times on this show. He's directed pretty much an episode of each of the seasons of the Marvel Netflix shows so far. Uh, He's currently working on another superhero show, a new new comic book show uh, called The Umbrella Academy. Uh, You may recognize (gasps) this. It's from Dark Horse Comics and written by Jared Way, most known as the lead singer of My Chemical Romance a couple of years ago. And has moved on to become a comic writer. Very popular figure, though. And it's a fantastic. I highly recommend it to any of our fellow defenders who fancy a quick pop in. It's it's off the wall, but fantastic. Like guy with a head, human head, and a gorilla body. Excellent. What more do I need to tell you about? <laughs> it's fantastic. Sure, he's not just wearing a gorilla outfit and took the head off. I'm pretty sure. Okay, cool. But you need to read the comic to understand why. Excellent. That's the Umbrella Academy uh, over on Dark Horse Comics. Interesting. Yeah, no, sounds good. Um, And, of course, it's great to have Stephen Sergic back behind the camera directing an episode of one of the Marvel Netflix superheroes. Certainly is, yeah. And this episode was written by Rebecca Dameron. This is her first Marvel Netflix show, but interestingly for me and you, John, uh, she was a supervising producer on the first season of Gotham and wrote the 10th episode, Lovecraft. Uh, That was the episode, you definitely remember this one, where Alfred Pennyworth and Harvey Bullock teamed up to find Bruce Wayne and Selina Kyle when they'd been driven out of their house. So, um, So yeah, so if you want to hear a review of that episode and of every other single episode of Gotham that's ever been released pop on over to our other website over at gothamtvpodcast.com where myself and john have gone through all 70 odd episodes of gotham so far 
Yes, and what a great team up that was uh, seeing Harvey Bullock and Alfred Pennyworth uh, getting together to find Bruce Wayne and Selena Carly out. Really good team up. That was good fun. It was. It was two of our absolute favorite characters from over in Gotham. But enough about Gotham. John, do you want to tell us what they gave us with your synopsis for the episode? Sure. While Danny Rand recovers from his broken leg, he becomes increasingly frustrated at his inability to go after Davos to reclaim his Iron Fist. While he is convinced that he can appeal to Davos's better nature, Colleen and Misty believe otherwise, as the tried death toll in Chinatown continues to rise. They both set their sights on finding Davos and securing the Tibetan singing bowl that was used in the ceremony by the Crane Sisters. However, Davos begins to recruit foot soldiers to his cause and offers shelter and training to the Rhino Gang, as Joy reconnects with him after a call from Misty Knight. Elsewhere, Mary attempts to reconcile her different sides after a call by Joy Meacham, and Ward sinks into old habits as he drinks away his troubles, only to find out some unexpected news. Feeling agitated and at a loss without his chi, Danny decides he needs to step up his training and asks Colleen to train him. But little does he realise that this request could change everything between him and Colleen forever. You have made that sound so much more dramatic than it is in the show. <laughs> might change everything between them forever. They might sleep in separate beds for a while while she well, trains him. <laughs> it really was dramatic. And um, like, you know, I've watched this episode twice now, but the first time I watched it, unfortunately, it was quite late. So I um, I did have a little doze and mm-hmm. um, I, I woke up to like earth shattering um, changes afoot or potential for change between uh, Danny and Colleen, which I thought was like, what? No, I don't think so. Uh, <laughs> this cannot possibly happen. Um, I don't understand it. I don't understand the reasoning. So um, I had to watch it again, and it has calmed me down a little, but dare I say it, mindstorm. Absolute mindstorm. <laughs> I think on that one, let's get into our points. Chris, do you want to kick us off? Sure. So I think the first point we need to get into is Danny going under the knife. Mm. And it is a full-on Dark Knight Rises Batman-style brace made by the same people that made Misty's arm. Mm-hmm. So you know it's a it, it's a high-tech Batman brace. Yeah, it's very similar, isn't it? I just had that instant moment where I was thinking of Bruce Wayne returning to the fight uh, in Dark Knight Rises after he'd been hanging around his house, walking on his on his cane, you know, not able to walk very well. And then he gets his Batman brace, is able to go out in the street and start fighting again. Very similar to Danny. And I'm sure this was the showrunners or the writers shorthand in saying, you've seen this before in TVs. Just because someone's ne- leg was broken doesn't mean they'll never be able to fight again. We have Danny Rand, who has the same amount of money as Bruce Wayne, his kind of DC counterpart. Of course, he's going to be able to build, build something that will help him heal a lot quicker than most people will. Yeah, this really did have that sense of the Amalgam comics, uh, where they blend two different characters uh, from Marvel and DC together, where, you know, this is Bruce Wayne, the immortal Iron Fist. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Rand Enterprises uh, is the stand-in for Wayne Enterprises. You have this compression brace and this Rand tech being used. And um, I think importantly as well, you know, the, it's a slight montage as well um, of... Uh, Danny having been taken to hospital, uh, having his leg put into this brace and having some kind of 
extended period where he is recovering. And whilst he's not fully recovered uh, from his broken leg that Davos inflicted on him, uh, you know, I think there is um, some lapse in time, a a bit of a fast forward here. And, And I think that's needed, certainly when you break a leg, because I think everyone has either broken a part of their body or knows someone and knows that, you know, it takes a while uh, to to heal up, uh, you know, whether it's in a cast or whether a high-tech compression brace. Uh, there was that one moment where I thought they were um, screwing in a screw into his leg and I was like going, ugh, that's a bit of a weird way to <laughs> sort of heal a broken leg. But it's not. It's just tightening the screw that's part of this compression brace. Yes, I um, don't know whether putting a screw into somebody's bone would make it heal quick. No. <laughs> oh, yeah, do put screws into bones, but I don't think screwing a mechanism into somebody's bone is going to help them heal better. Yeah. No. But it was that moment of, eh, you know, kind of not the greatest thing to watch. But uh, mm-hmm. I do kind of wonder, though, and on, sort of on a, a more serious note of this episode, whether they sort of flashed forwards... Um, far enough uh with danny having a kind of recovered leg where he is able to fully utilize his his legs for a walking because we do see him with a cane and and b i suppose ultimately um getting back into into training so uh, you know there is a little question there for me as to whether um, there was enough time lapsed, but it certainly needed that, and I, I think they they at least did do some flash forward. Yeah, yeah, but he did. We did get that mini flash, i.e., what like twenty four hours, maybe forty eight. I think Colleen says to him that she's been to all of his physiotherapy sessions and she knows how hard he's trying, so that gives you a sense that's a few weeks. We do hear another point later on in the episode where a character mentions that. She's been going through something for six or seven weeks at this stage. So I think the okay. jump is probably a good month um, okay. from the last episode. Is what it feels like in this episode. They really should have just done a small bit of texting four <laughs> weeks later. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But they didn't. But Danny does come back to the apartment and he basically does. Danny still feels that there's good in Davos and he wants to save him. And we get that scene where Colleen's explaining that she still feels the same way about Bakuto. And no matter what he did to her, and he did some awful things, mm-hmm. he she still feels that same way. And we do get Danny kind of pushing Colleen to help him train by returning to being his t- teacher. So explaining that he needs to relearn how to fight. He can't be the Iron Fist, the Kung Lung fighter anymore, because Davos is the trained the same way, is the same fighter but more vicious. So it's kind of, he's along the lines of saying, I need help. I need to get better. I need to, this is the, the training montage element, if you will. Yeah. And it's a really weird point, isn't it? I know just one thing you, you mentioned about uh, Colin feeling the same way about Bakuto and something you said earlier on in the season, John, and you've actually put it really well that she was pushing her students through the meat grinder that was the hand, not knowing about it. So she's been training these kids in her dojo, sending them off to join the hand, and then they're all just being killed because the hand was an evil organization. Of course, she's going to have a big problem taking up that opportunity as a teacher. But what we saw at the end of season one of Iron Fist is Danny saying, I, wa- I didn't learn enough. 
I have to go back and learn more in Kunlun. I think at the time we took that up to mean he had to learn how to use the Iron Fist. But he is saying, absolutely, I didn't have enough training. Then this season, we find out that he fought through multiple opponents to get to the point to challenge Davos for the chance to fight against Xiao Lao. And then in this episode, he's saying, I need more training. Danny's supposed to be a huge martial arts fighter. He's supposed to be a very knowledgeable and very good fighter here. And there's nothing has said in the past, really, that Colleen's a better fighter than him. Both of them are quite similar, have different styles, but both of them are quite similar level. But he is the better fighter of the two of them. So it does feel like it's out of nowhere that he's asking her to train him. It almost felt like maybe if he was saying to her, I need a partner to spar with, I can't do that on my own. That would have worked a bit better than can you be my teacher, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it's interesting. I, I, I think this was, as I said at the start, you know, I, I did kind of nod off. Uh, and so I woke up and all of a sudden there was promises here that uh, nothing was going to be the same again between Colleen and Danny because he had simply asked her to kind of run through the discipline of him being trained and, and maintaining that you know, the muscle memory, the actions, the discipline of martial arts. Never once from season one and even into season two did I ever question Danny Rand's ability as a martial artist and his skill level as a fighter. And in a sense, that's borne out by the 700 challenges that he has to get get to in order to fight Davos and, in fact, then to fight Shao Lao. All of a sudden, I see Danny's request as being simply one of him being kept sharp in terms of yes. his skills by Colleen. And all of a sudden, Colleen projects onto him that he is going to go off to his death. And that's what she did with the hand. And it all seems somewhat contrived in the end a bit here to, to cause that, you know, and pardon the pun, that fracture point between Danny and, and Colleen. Um, which I don't really want to see, to be honest. I've really enjoyed seeing this couple at the centre fighting, and I know it ramps up a bit of dramatic effect, but I I really did start to question it. I mean, and as you say, I mean, the way I took him going back to Kunlun at the end of season one with Colleen was because, you know, he had this erratic use uh, and uh, control over his chi that that was what he was having to train for was how to use that in a fighting sense and be able to control it. And so, again, it somehow seemed to me that all that Danny was asking was to keep him sharp whilst he recovered. And again, I think this plays to, you know, did they flash forward um, far enough? Because, you know, he he's punching away at this column in the dojo that he's taped up with stuff and then he kicks it with his bad leg. And I mean, first choose to Colleen who says that wasn't the smartest thing to do, you know, fair enough. Um, So there's just a few things here that just felt a little inconsistent to me. Um, And and it really kind of got to me. But one of the things I really kind of enjoyed from this was ultimately that I did like Colleen's explanation. I I liked the fact that she gave her viewpoint as to, you know, everything changes. And I I kind of could accept it uh, in part, you know, this idea that when you teach people the way they then go on to use that, that's on her you know you feel a slight ownership of their progression 
and and what they do in the future. And if that future is simply to die like a lot of the kids that she had taught, well, then, you know, that's why she closed down the dojo. That was why they converted it to their home. Mm -hmm. So it, it, it was a nice aspect here i think the biggest thing was that danny effectively just doesn't listen to it and then starts conversing it to the dojo um irrespective of that so mm -hmm. that you have this moment where she's saying to him you have a choice as to whether you go down this route but you've already made yours we haven't done this together so it, it feels like a lot of separation uh being put between these two characters and in some ways maybe it to me it feels a little unnecessary however when danny starts calling her sensei he seems to start getting one of those crafty grins on him so maybe it's not all bad uh, in the end yeah, yeah. Uh, but i don't know i i just i, I want to really get on to episode eight because I want to make sure that these two people that I've really enjoyed how they've built their relationship aren't simply suddenly going to become distant and emotionally detached because Danny needs to be trained by Colleen, even though I'm not entirely sure I think he does. Um, he is a, or was an immortal iron fist. He was a top-notch martial artist. And so... I think it's about him staying sharp, and I think they've maybe just played with it too much, in my in my view. But yeah, yeah, no, I'm interested to see what happens in episode eight on that, definitely, because, as I say, it would be great if it was just him saying, I need help from you for fighting, because potentially my physiotherapist is talking about walking. I can walk, I'm okay, I actually want to know how to fight when I have a leg like this. If it was doing something like that and asking her to give him some lessons and some training for that specific reason. Just needed to call it out a bit better. It's what they always say to shippers, though, isn't it? People that want a relationship to happen between two characters don't want it to happen, never want that to happen on a TV show because that gives the rights to the writers to break them apart. That's always going to happen. If this show had just lent a little bit more into the fact that this is a two-hander show, this is Colleen Wing and Danny Rand's show. It's not just Danny Rand and the girlfriend he happens to be going out with right now. This is a show that is has the two of them at the center of it. You don't need to break them apart. That's what you've got going for you as this show, unlike all the rest of the shows that are out there. I do think they're going to break them apart. They may. There's not a huge amount more episodes left to go, though. So No, I think what they'll end up doing is, at the end of the season, they'll end up broken apart. And if we get, and when we get season three, mm -hmm. that will be the redemption, if you will. It just seems a bit standard for the series um, to do that. As I say, that seems like a, a writer's room running out of ideas a little bit when you have to focus the rest of a season on breaking up your main your main couple in the show. Yeah. But hey, again, I'll reserve judgment, judgment until I see the end of the series. That could go a completely different way. Yeah, absolutely. One of our random uh, expectations of something that never actually works out. <laughs> Speaking of some random expectations that actually come true, over on point number two, mm -hmm. we see Davos is recruiting. We were very much right. Yeah, you were. Yeah. Thank you. I said we, but thank you. Yes, I'll give you the credit. Cheers. <laughs> Just quickly, before we get into this point, I did say last episode we'd stop calling 
the eye patch guy, the eye patch guy. He does have a name. He is a character. <laughs> He's been in every episode pretty much since the start of the season. Uh, the one eyed man or the eye patch wearing guy is now going to be called Chen Wu. That is the character's name in the show. He is a golden tiger in the comic books. He has existed. And he, his first appearance was in a comic book the month I was born back in October 1976 in Iron Fist issue number eight. We have a connection there. Chen Wu is now my guy from the Golden Tigers. And we see him fight in this episode. And he's got a good fighting stance, got a good battling stance against the rhinos that are coming to attack him. I like it. Yeah, and rhinos being spelt R-H-Y-N-O. Who would have thought? Mm-hmm. Not me. <laughs> but, Derek, if you want, we will poke one of your eyes out so that you can be <laughs> closer to Chen Wu and closer to Nick Fury. Yes. Um, I'd rather continue to wear my glasses. All right. So. Yeah, and Chen Wu is approaching his 42nd birthday as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thanks, John. <laughs> <laughs> In case you fellow Avengers could do the math there. <laughs> Anywho, so we do see him fight, but more importantly, we do see Davos encouraging Rhino's gang to join him. The city has failed you. Did that remind you of anything, Chris? I wrote that in the notes just specifically for you. Yeah, just slightly (laughs) Arrow-esque. What I like about it is, unlike Arrow, unlike his main line, which is, you have failed the city when he takes out one of his enemies, this is Davos blaming the city of New York for failing these kids. This is him taking it the opposite way round. He's saying these kids shouldn't be protecting the city, that they should be standing against the city alongside him so they can turn it into something different than it is. Because if the city wasn't the way the city is, these kids would be having a fine life. There'd be nothing wrong with their bro- their upbringing. So it is different from, from the Arrow idea, but definitely the way he says it, it does sound very like Oliver Green. Yeah, I really enjoyed seeing Davos kind of trying to do this recruitment. I mean, it's, it's almost like he is probably going to be the hand mark two just not called the hand you know he's he's building his foot soldiers and um but i i kind of quite like that because um you know you're really seeing it at this embryonic stage uh rather than a, a, an organization that is millennia old uh, mm-hmm. so that, that, that's kind of interesting i think one of the good things here though is that you know a lot of people in Davos's life at this moment in time or who are coming into it, you don't quite know what they're thinking about him because, you know, he does have a particular way with words and he certainly doesn't necessarily always make you warm to him with, with some of his phrases. But here we see BB at the start when Davos is, you know, suggesting to them that, you know, I will give you shelter, I'll give you food, I'll give you training, you can learn, you can, you know, help sort of destroy the cancer that is infecting um, and is spreading through New York City. Um, He does question him. And even though BB then turns up later on, I felt that him saying, uh, yes, uh, Shifu to Davos was because Rhino had nodded to him to say that. So I wonder, is this gang pretending to want to get to be Davos's foot soldiers just so that they get taught loads of cool moves and ultimately get to rule the roost once the tigers and the hatchets have kind of been depleted? And also with Bibi, what's his personal motivation because of... Uh, his association with Colleen. Is that all sort of water underneath the bridge now? Or has he truly still going to have her back and maybe inform Colleen and Misty Mm. where Davos is? I think the other interesting one is Chen Wu as well, because Davos, uh, you know, goes after these two homeless 
guys who are trying to break into a car uh, and takes them out. And, you know, Chen is kind of there going, well, these these guys weren't triads. So again, a little bit of uh, maybe daylight between this partnership. Will that be enough to tip Chen Wu over the edge to not really you know, fully get behind what Davos wants to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, there's Joy, who pays Davos a visit at the end. Um, and I was like going, okay, so she really is coming back to side with Davos. But then you do get the kind of, so what happened to that Tibetan singing bowl? <laughs> <laughs> Just dropped into conversation. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Easily. But absolutely, like, I have to say, watching it, I was going, she is going back to him, isn't she? She is going back to Davos all the way through it until she mentions the the singing bowl, but uh, but she does a really good job of playing with Davos. Oh, big time! As if she's going to come back to him and explain why she would. So yeah. even though it looks like he's consolidating power and he's building that power base, I just wonder whether it really is uh, on shifting sands a bit. Mm, yeah. Yeah, I know. I do. I want to make a quick call here that BB will tell Colleen about the kids and Rhino's gang going in, she will then learn that while she's given up teaching, she still needs to teach. She needs to give these kids uh, a Shifu uh, or a Sensei in her side, Mm -hmm. actually be the guiding force for them. So I believe what we'll end up getting is they'll be her redemption that, hey, you can still fight, you can still pick up the sword, you can draw it without having to use it as long as you teach the kids the same. You're not teaching the kids to become hand members. You're teaching them to be a vigilante, or not a vigilante force, but you're teaching them to be good. I can see that arc already kind of foundation being laid down for the the, the last episodes. Yeah, and just one thing to mention there. When Davos and Chen are out uh, and, and Davos kills the homeless guys, like he genuinely kills them. He doesn't just knock them out and get rid of them. He oh, actually yeah. kills them and makes a definite point of that right in front of Chen going... Well, do you want to join them? If you're going to stand in my way, I'm going to kill you too, kind of thing. So I think it's something that you you mentioned in one of the previous episodes, Chris, about this power that he's got of the Iron Fist that's running through his bodies is the power of Shao Lao, and it seems to be completely overtaking his normal instincts. This would not be the normal thing for what we've heard of Davos in the past, to go out and just kill any random person on the street who's, you know, robbing a wallet or uh, or anything like that. That doesn't seem to be Davos's character. He seems to have a much more... As he says to the kids, he's a warrior with a noble purpose. His noble purpose isn't killing three guys in the streets who are robbing a stereo from a car to, to pay for some drugs. Yeah, it's it's not that. It is going after these gangs in New York, the triads in New York. And it also throws up that question as well from you, John. Where is Chen Wu working with the police? Is he the undercover cop? Because he seemed to balk completely at the yeah. idea of Davos going after anybody that isn't a member of the triads that's still on the table again, I think. And and certainly because we see that um, when Misty challenges William Pike, uh, so I suppose this kind of moves us nicely on to point three, uh, where Misty is told to go back to Harlem by uh, Detective William Pike, the the police officer who's kind of her equivalent in Chinatown. Mm -hmm. You know, he tells her to go back to Harlem and stop interrupting him because actually uh, what Misty gets from him is that, well, hang on a minute, this guy is taking out all the problems that beset the local 
police precinct mm-hmm. in, in Chinatown, which is the triad war, the triad gang war. Um, and so, in a sense, they're kind of letting uh, Davos, you know, use uh, his powers uh, and have this kind of natural selection going on in, in Chinatown where the triads are being taken out by this guy with abilities. Uh, and, you know, Misty doesn't like that at all. But again, that could marry in with Chen Wu in that he is being told effectively direct this guy to get rid of the problem that is happening in Chinatown, yeah. which is the triad war. Yeah, absolutely. That's a really good point. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Um, I also like this is where we get our, our Luke Cage reference specifically to, to Luke. As William Pike says, I've got a guy with the iron, with an iron fist in my city, same as your bulletproof guy over in Harlem. So uh, so we do get that. So I like that they're making those references like the way they used to back in season one to the MCU characters, not by their names, by their superpowers. So they're not saying Luke Cage, they're saying the bulletproof guy in Harlem. So it kind of sits very well with the way that they've always talked about the heroes in these shows, I think. No, I agree with you. I, I, it took me a second to figure out who he was talking about. I went, oh, oh Luke. <laughs> of course, okay, yeah. The guy we were just talking about three weeks ago, yeah. <laughs> I was just, no, more I went, wait, was it somewhere else? Because my head straight went mm. to the MCU. Yeah. I was like, wait, which one? Like, who? What? Oh, Luke, okay. Of course. Right. <laughs> right. I, I, I knew that one. <laughs> but since we're talking about Misty now and we're speaking kind of in this point, I like that this is forcing her to make that step to become the captain. If she's going to be the agent of change, she needs to have the power to make those changes. And you could see it in her. She was like, no, this isn't on. And he was like, you don't have the power to change it. Mm -hmm. I think I'm paraphrasing the line, but it was essentially like, you're not a captain. You're a detective. You have no say in this. Yeah, it was very much you're the same level as me. Maybe if you took that job as captain, then you might have a say in this, but you have no other say. Yeah. Exactly. And I like that that's going to push her to become. We talked about this in Luke Cage. Uh Ooh, imagine Misty becomes the Commissioner Gordon of this NCU, the Netflix Cinematic Universe, if you will. See, that's what we've been calling it. We're calling it the NCU. John. Anyway, imagine she became (laughs) the Commissioner Gordon of this. In other words, she becomes the liaison to the superpowered. If they go that way, I'm down. But I can also see them quite easily this being the point where she's like, nope, cops are corrupt. I'm yeah. out yeah. hanging up a badge. But they won't do it in this season. They'll do it in a future one. Or if she turns up in Daredevil, uh-huh. then she is to a degree our new Claire Temple because she will become the running thread as a police force officer. Poss- yeah, possibly. Possibly. I can see this as maybe being resolved in the first episode of Daughters and the Dragon. And that's uh, where she says, I'm throws in her badge, leaves and joins up with Colleen, uh, using all of her detective ways to uh, to lead the, t- the team. That's the way I can kind of see it going. But there is lots more that's going on with Misty in this yeah. episode. We do see her commenting once again about her real interest in Ward Meacham. <laughs> once again, how, uh, how interesting she finds this character of Ward. Um, just like the little kind of dynamic between those two characters. Uh, she's only met him on the street once, but you can tell he caught her eye, definitely. Colleen just doesn't see it at all. No, not no. a bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think actually Misty in this episode, it, it was some of my favorite moments uh, of this episode. Mm-hmm. Like Misty visits Joy and she's asking about the Tibetan bowl. She's ultimately forces Joy to talk about Nika Prada. Um, and, you know, you find out that 
Joy had to push a few more buttons in order to secure that bowl. Mm-hmm. Um, and Misty just turning around to her going, well, she's not a fan then of Joy Meacham. And she goes, I like her already. You know, <laughs> And even just that little bit of a conversation between Nika and, and Misty at the end, after she's gone in asking about the bowl, um, where she goes, Nika goes, you know, please tell Joy that I gave you a lot of good information because Nika thinks that Misty's going to put her away. You know, Misty plays this sort of, you know, offline interview with Nika as though it's part of a formal investigation by the police. Uh, And it's just a nice little touch. And I think the whole... um, that whole meeting between Nika and Misty in the auction room is just really, really interesting. Like Chris mentioned about decades worth of comic books, and I love it when she uh, pulls out this hanging scroll, the Thanga, um, where you kind of have this ancient comic. Um, and I love that Misty is using her skill here that normally see, takes her through um, a, a murder scene or a robbery to, to get an understanding from the pictures as to what this ritual that the Crane sisters perform for Davos is. Um, I like that it, you know, it comes back to Danny who is interpreting different elements of, of this um, this scroll as mm-hmm. well because she's taking pictures. I think the other interesting thing is the this collection of Professor Erskine's and there's the bell that has Colleen's symbol on it That's as right. well. So it really uh, deepens the mystery around Colleen's family uh, and her past or her lineage as to what that means. Because here we have um, Professor Erskine, you know, someone who has built up a collection of ancient Tibetan um, antiquities, uh, readings, myth. Uh, you know, he is like the Indiana Jones here of Iron Fist. Mm-hmm. And once again, we have that wing family emblem yeah. um, the, on this bell. Uh, so really interesting. I, I'm still convinced then that this even more so hints at a real important lineage to Colleen's family mm-hmm. as to what it might be. Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm still hedging my bets, thinking that this could be um, something to do with the Cranes, uh, as well, uh, for sure. But really nice uh, aspect here, this conversation between Misty and Nika. And here we see that this singing bowl, this Tibetan singing bowl, is a one of a kind. So they can't just use you know, a salad bowl or a fruit bowl. <laughs> uh, they're going to have to find this rare one of a kind uh, ancient bowl that Davos has squirreled away somewhere. And Misty's reaction is perfect once again it's that moment of her face just getting that look on it going well of course it's one of a kind bowl of course it is it couldn't possibly be from that box of seven thousand bowls over there it has to be one that i have to go and find uh, really good and uh, yes yeah, so maybe the wing family is something important or maybe they just got drunk and left colleen on a planet and flew oh no that's a different franchise isn't it that <laughs> anyway um but we do see colleen uh, actually Moving along with her story, we do see her investigation is bearing a bit of fruit. Finally, she's starting to break apart Frank Choi's um, ledger and working out exactly what's happened, who he is, really, because he doesn't seem like 
antique dealing was the only thing that he was involved in. It seems like his bigger business was actually bringing uh, families into the country and they're trading their heirlooms and their money at times, but also their personal possessions to pay for this passage into the country and their papers. And that's how he got this wing family box. So she needs to know who it is, who's the connection, what that person is and what connection it is to to Colleen was it her mother that came in years after Colleen did or something like that which is what she suspects it was someone very closely connected to her mother but at least we're seeing some movement on this it's been a few episodes since she's had to hang up that investigation and allow Danny to go after the triad war and after Davos so it's nice to see that she's taken this time to to look at this actual historical piece of her life that she needs to solve I think what we'll end up getting is the penultimate episode episode nine will give us the big showdown between Danny and Davos and I'm hoping we'll get a hint of the culmination of uh, Colleen's story in episode 9 and then in episode 10 they'll close it up with some big shocker like her mother is in New York or she is also from Kung Lung and was left as a baby Mm -hmm. or a big bombshell that rocks her core to a degree Mm -hmm. Um, but again we're we're not that far away so let's wait and see yeah yeah i'm really hoping they close out the story this season though as well because it was something that came up in episode one i'm really hoping that we get at least a resolution of exactly what this box is and what the connection is by the end of the season with only three episodes left uh, we'll see how that goes yes and speaking of resolution over on point four joy is paying a visit to mary mary oh so contrary walker oh yes I, I first of all loved Mary's attempt to ensure no way Walker is coming back. Constant running water on mm-hmm. every faucet. Yep. Yeah. She was taking volume consistently every day, we can assume, from a later scene, which we'll talk about in a second. Um, and the constant running water, everything was covered up. She was just going out of her way to ensure that she stayed in control. Mm hmm. And fair deuce to Joy for her conversational style when she realizes this is Mary that she's visiting, not Walker. The way she plays it really well with her, saying, well, I was just looking for, for Walker to protect me. You know, she I know how many times she protected you in the past, and that's what I'm looking for myself. And because of that style, you see Mary questioning all of her ideas that she has about Walker and why she's keeping her prisoner inside this shared body really um it's really interesting to see that joy has that ability to encourage mary to rethink her whole relationship with walker really good use of yeah, joy as a character absolutely um this was like a fantastic moment uh in in this episode where she kind of realigns mary to really think about how walker has protected her whether it was in sokovia um you know and you get that sense through recording that message that, you know, Mary is willing to let uh, Walker in uh, and that it doesn't matter where I wake up. It could be in Arizona, but please just look at this video and she folds the picture in half. So you get that, that moment of Mary and Walker there in the artwork Mm -hmm. with the phone with the post-it note and i I really enjoyed this that that kind of turnaround where uh, it's gone from mary wanting absolutely to make sure that walker doesn't barge her way into her consciousness uh doing everything she can and just from the way she has that interaction 
with joy down to this idea that you don't seem like a person who would want to hurt someone and joy going there's a few sides to everyone right you know you're not Mm -hmm. kind of the only one in a sense um i just thought was really good and i i like what potential there is there with with just that moment so really fantastic for me quick question quick poll who is the dominant primary original and who is the secondary i'm now leaning towards mary was the original Mm -hmm. and walker came and saved her came out or her first appearance was when she mary was in the hole in sokovia um that's the way i'm leaning towards yeah I'm not quite sure yet. It could be the other way around, but that's kind of what I'm leading towards. Yeah, maybe. I'm I'm wondering because of that scene where you see her, it's actually was in my notes for the episode. So Sokovia, if you can't remember back this far, obviously, <laughs> Sokovia was quite a central location in uh, Avengers Age of Ultron um, for our fellow defenders. Um, there is this moment when she's in a prison underground. Just before that movie, there was a post credit scene in a previous movie setting up Avengers Age of Ultron where we had the first reveal of Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver. If you remember that one? Yep. Um, that reveal, during that, they said, we have the specials in the back. It was multiple. We all assumed that those specials were Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch. Possibly there was another special back there that was Mary. And she was also being kept in a prison by Von Strucker and the members of Hydra that were holed up in Sokovia. Possibly this is where it is. And obviously it's not going to go matching frame for frame with a million dollar movie uh, for this small scene of her in a cell. But Mary does hear some voices overhead talking about some plans that are going on. Difficult to tell exactly what they are, but I'm wondering if this is a reference to her being in the background and being a special that was trapped by Von Strucker. Not just not just little Mary. Actually, they were trapping her because she has some form of power that they needed to use. Just wondering. No, it's a good, it's a good theory. Yeah. I like that thought I, I i want to expand and go what if it just wasn't three of them what if there mm-hmm. was, there was hundreds a, a, a hundreds yeah and like we end up seeing that all these different army personnel were kind of captured and put through and we start getting the pop-ups um yeah. throughout it mm-hmm. uh, because the the mcu and the ncu are big places yeah absolutely so i, I, I yeah i love that that theory too i mean i think the thing for me whilst um mary walker is in that uh hole in sokovia you know that open sort of hole with the the grid you know it's it's raining and it's thundering and so she's obviously gone back to being mary at that moment Mm -hmm. and maybe it's walker got her into that you know she's special ops she's black ops it was walker maybe to infiltrate Hydra and then suddenly she's captured and Von Strucker or Hydra in general know that she has special abilities, that she has this split personality, this DID that has powers as well. Um, But certainly in that moment in the hole, she is Mary. She's using the coin to do etchings on the, on the wall. So it's that artistic size like mm-hmm. with mm. the, the the drawings yeah. um and ultimately it, it's interesting going back to what chris said i'm kind of leaning on the idea that mary is the original 
and she effectively finds herself in a hole in Sokovia mm-hmm. because of the thunder and the rain, but then ultimately realizes, you know, at some other point, once she has been consumed back in by Walker and then chucked back out, out again uh, as being Mary, that she has survived that ordeal in some way. So right. she puts that down to Walker. And then with Joy's intervention here, she has this moment to connect with this other personality. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Too many Walkers and Marys. Definitely. And not yeah. enough Mary Walkers. I hope you all follow yeah. that. Definitely. I was also wondering, just to flesh out my theory slightly, I was wondering whether the uh, the moment in Sokovia with the lightning and thunder and rain was being caused by Thor, who was also present uh, in the local area. <laughs> oh, that would be good. That would be really good. <laughs> but there you go. I think that's enough on Mary Walker for this episode. Really fascinating. Really looking forward to seeing Walker come back out uh, next episode and what she's going to do when she's back in control again. Yeah, no, definitely. But we can't close out the episode without talking about wars going on a bender, can we? <laughs> that is a ridiculous bender that Ward's gone on. We see at the start of the episode, he's all caring. He's going to the hospital to visit Danny, who's obviously holed up at the beginning of the episode, getting the operation. We see Ward arrive again, like everybody else. He's really pulled down by this whole thing that Danny's gone in for the battle and has now had a leg crushed and has to go under an operation. But it does turn him into going for a huge drunk fest at lunchtime. Um, Quite an interesting one, though, isn't it? Seeing Ward this low again, knock this low again. Um, it's also obviously combined with the fact that his sister has told him that she never wants to see him again. She's leaving him, not never never wants to see him again. We hear that a little bit later. But um, but I do love how smarmy Ward comes back uh, to his assistant, who's calling up, trying to find out where he is. And he's on the phone kind of going, well, if I want to go to a dive bar in the middle of the day and drink myself stupid, I can do that. That's that's what I could do as the as the owner of this business, you know. <laughs> but I do love the interactions that are in here. Um, we see once again Bethany, his girlfriend, uh, coming to meet back up with him, or his former girlfriend, probably now at this stage. Um, she's trying to convince him to go to a meeting and let all of this stuff out. Um, I love his response to that because it's a great addict's response where he says, I was in Narcotics Anonymous, not Alcoholics Anonymous. It's <laughs> <Which is> such <laughs> a twist on Bethany, who's been trying to help yeah. him out so much over these last couple of months. Yeah, no, for me, it was definitely, I think it was a breaking point mm-hmm. when what happens to Bethany and him. And I was just like, no, Ward, what are you doing? I know. I do see him potentially trying then to do the apology part with the bartender later going here, I bought your bar or I bought your lease. You know, I'm sorry. Kind of that. Maybe that, maybe. that bartender gave him a roughing. Yeah. So definitely slaps him around a bit. So good. Do you know what I loved about the fight with the bartender? One of the things that I really, really thought worked so well about it. It's doing that thing, which works really well in comedy drama that moment where you see Ward standing up and trying to throw a bunch of the bartender and he misses and the bartender hits into the ground and everybody laughs. laughs. You're going, look at Drunky. And then he does it again and he falls over. And then the third time he does it, you really do feel a lot of sadness for Ward and what he's going through here. He just doesn't seem to realize how bad a state he's gotten himself into once again. It's really important to see that in Ward. You know, he he got back up to a pretty good level with Danny. A couple of episodes ago, we saw their relationship had had become really close again. He was starting to work his way back with Joy. 
that fell apart and now we're seeing him go back to his lowest low again. It's just really important that they that they showed that in the show, I think. I think so, definitely. Um, I love this drunken fight. Um, yeah, it's really sad that Ward is drunk doing this fight, but it is um, classic uh, drunken fight timing. Mm-hmm. I do like, given that it is Iron Fist, it's martial arts, it's the hand ninja that he kind of uses the beer mats like ninja stars, uh, <laughs> chucking them at the 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 bomb. And so, yeah, I absolutely uh, really like this fight. Um, and of course, you know, I have been asked about Wine Watch, which haven't really done, but there is a Whiskey Watch here. Um, he is getting drunk on Henry McKenna, um, a nice Kentucky bourbon. Very nice, very nice. Another. I love me some bourbon. Me too. So many examples, Chris, in this show. We need you to do uh, bourbon drinking uh, in each episode where you just take a shot of whatever they're drinking in the episode. We'd never get through a podcast, unfortunately. I'm down to try. (laughs) (laughs) It could get interesting. I like end up just sprawled on the ground by the end of the episode going, ah, uh, Ward, Danny. Yeah. Exactly. Defend. (laughs) But, um, gentlemen, Moving on from a, a quite a, a fun note to a bit more se- serious. To kind of close out this, and I am sorry to close out on a bit of a downer, mm. but we do see potentially the biggest bombshell for Ward's character at the end of this episode. As he goes to the meeting, still intoxicated, and we hear Bethany telling her side of the story, and she ends with that she's six weeks pregnant, mm-hmm. and she hasn't told the father yet. Obviously, the father is Ward. He hears this outside. And I'm just like, oh, this is the make it or break it moment for this character. Mm. Um, He will either go, I do not want to be my father. I'll be fantastic. I'm going to get sober. Or this drives him to go deeper to Harold. He becomes the true evil Meacham kind of character. I don't see it happening, but I was just like... (laughs) Oh no, like don't you're hitting a man when he's down here now. Come on, lads, to the writers obviously. Right. So what did you think of this kind of bit of a bombshell? Um it's an interesting one. This is definitely one I'm gonna have to wait for an episode to see because it is our big kind of final moment for Ward in the episode. Um I like how Bethany places it and and sets it up with the people around her where she's effectively saying, There's an addict, I got involved with him, shouldn't have done that, really bad idea. He's still an addict and I'm still involved with him, and I'm pregnant by him. Um, it's effectively saying that, that Bethany has gone to that pub or that bar that Ward was in to try and see if he could be a better man, and he refused to be a better man in front of her. And that's why she's having the worst day of her life. That's why she needs to go back to this meeting and talk through her feelings, is because she did actually give him the chance that he's probably now going to ask her for. He's probably now going to say, well, I know you're pregnant now, I'll take care of the kid. We can make a relationship out of this. And she's now going to say no, because he's already lost his chance, not knowing what the chance was that was being given to him. No, that makes sense. John? Like, it is a bit of a bombshell, to be honest, that it is going down that route. But, I mean, given the uh, shenanigans in the closet, I'm not surprised. Well, yeah. Um, so I think it really depends on how they... Uh, take this forward because it it could just be simply that you know uh, his sponsor doesn't give him a second chance and and that's it that's the end of it and and i think that 
that would be potentially a little bit of a shame for these two characters. You know, I want to see um, other characters develop and not just amongst themselves, but with other people. Um, it, it's it's in the same way uh, as with, um, you know, people on, on the periphery of the, the main character. So it to me, it was a bombshell. The reason why we say that, it did come out of the blue. I wasn't expecting it, and I, I kind of didn't know how to process it, really. And I'm still not entirely sure. I need a bit more time to see uh, what happens here between the two, because uh, for it to be really meaningful. Yeah. Um, because I like these two having that kind of codependency with one another, because in some ways it, it felt kind of sweet, um, it felt like something could happen. And yet, yeah, he's blown it in the bar. Uh, however much uh, I enjoyed the drunken fight, effectively that moment where she comes in, yeah, that could be his last chance to have said the right thing to her. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have the moment uh, with the circle and her explaining what's happened to her. So I don't know whether it's going to be worth it or not. Um having this significant storyline being dropped like that with three episodes to go um, and with a ledger to, to deal with, Davos, um, and a whole host of other elements that I'm really excited to see. And I'm excited to see how this pans out as well. I just hope they've left room, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it's going to be interesting how they, uh, as you said, what they do, how they do it. I hope to treat the characters right, but these writers and the showrunner, I get the feeling they know what they're doing. So let's wait and see. We're down to, gentlemen, we're down to three episodes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So let's see where three hours of fantastic entertainment will leave us. Absolutely. You see how much is in three hours of a movie sometimes, you know? I think exactly. I love the rings. That's that's only three hours long. The first one. That's a lot in it. <laughs> you never know, uh, gentlemen. Let's get on to notes. Uh, any major notes on this episode, Chris? Nothing from my side. Just one for me because I had to look it up. It was mentioned a couple of times by Mika Prada. The character that she mentions, Professor Ernst Erskine, who had the ceremonial bowl in his collection. Um, that is a comic book character. The one that you were talking about being the Indiana Jones of the Iron Fist uh-huh. universe. It's a character from the Ed Brubacker run once again. Um, came in issue six, but not really seen very often throughout the comic run. He's known better as Lucky Pierre and the partner and kind of right-hand man to Orson Randall, one of the former uh-huh. uh, Iron Fists. You see him quite a few times when Danny goes to try and find out stuff about Orson the person that tells them about about the history of Orson Randall and the history of the other Iron Fists is Ernest Erskine. So, nice reference. Good drop in there. If you're going to mention a character, this is a really good way of using that character in uh, in the show, I think. Yeah? Definitely. definitely. Now, unfortunately, no flashback to him and no moment with Danny finding any information, but they found out all the information they needed by consulting the works of Professor Erskine. So that's quite cool. I do get the feeling that the, the coffin... Mm-hmm was supposed to be Orson. They're blending an original Iron Fist with uh, the character of Orson. Yeah. So I think they're kind of just mashing. So we're not going to get Orson with his two guns Mm -hmm. and the Iron Guns. We're going to get whoever the 1940s Iron Fist is and was going to be Orson, the same style. And we'll have old lucky Pierre kind of being 
the the purveyor of these coffin, the purveyor of the bowl, the friend of it. I get that feeling. It could just be a throwaway line for those of us deep into Iron Fist lore. Yeah, I feel I feel like it's it's a throwaway line for this season, but it does set up the fact they could have a flashback episode in a future series uh, because they've started to mention these types of people that have the knowledge of Kunlun and the knowledge yeah. of the Tibetan monasteries and that kind of thing. Yeah, so, definitely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It would be great if they did a flashback to Lucky Pierre Ernst Erskine. It just really would be nice. Um, I think, yeah. It, it makes it feel as though that desiccated corpse is awesome, Randall, mm-hmm. um, to be honest. And so it, it's just nice getting those touchbacks to Conlon and to that wider Iron Fist law, as uh, you say, Chris, and, and as well, Derek. Um, so, yeah, absolutely uh, chuffed to get those little name drops um, in Iron Fist. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's the end of our notes for this episode. Chris, do you defend this episode of Iron Fist, Season 2, Episode 7, Morning of the Mindstorm? I defend it, but it's on a teetering edge, and I'm not going to lie. While the episode still had some great storylines, it still had some, as we said, bombshells, I I didn't like what they're setting up with the Danny-Colleen piece. I had already called... Davos's Fagan's kid storyline a bit in my head. Um, so while it's still a good episode, and I think I, I think it's fine. I think this is the dip episode for me. We we say most se- seasons have these kind of dips. It's fine. It was a bit more. We need to get. We're at point B. We need to get to point D. This is point C. We're gonna run through. Um, so you, it's like here's some beats. Here's some beats. Here's some story beats. Here's some story beats. Okay, you're done. That's what I kind of felt that this episode was. But with a strong writer and a strong director, they're able to at least make it interesting. Mm-hmm. And this kind of proves it. This shows when you have uh, Stephen Sergic directing this episode, who is now a veteran to a degree in most of these Marvel Netflix shows. Oh, yeah. It's a transition almost episode. So, But when you bring in someone who's veteran like Stephen, who knows how to get those beats... I'm down. Like, yep, we're good. It's still a good episode. It's just so far the weaker of seven. And I think it's nothing to do with that. Mm-hmm. I defend it. If it wasn't done by someone I trusted, if it wasn't well-directed and kind of where it is, it would probably be leaning to towards a not defense. But right now it's a defense. But as I said, we still got three more episodes. So let's see where it ends up. Mm-hmm. Derek, do you defend this episode of Iron Fist? Um, I just about defend this episode, yeah. Um, I, I'm similar to you, Chris, but I think more so this episode is the only episode of the season that I can't judge standalone. There's too much There's too much in it. There's too much stuff going on that needs to be paid off well in the next episode for me to judge whether this was a good or bad episode at all. So yeah. we haven't watched ahead. At this stage, we haven't watched any of the other three episodes. Um, so we don't know exactly how the things that are set up in this pay off. And if they pay off badly, this is a bad episode? Or is it just an episode setting all the other stuff up? That's all that it's doing. They have to have those kind of episodes or else you just have people punching each other in the face for 10 episodes. And that would make an awful television series. So nothing particularly wrong with this one, but not a high rewatchability on uh for me unless something 
is pulled out of it in a future episode and I have to go back and watch this episode for but I wouldn't be randomly choosing this episode to look back on in the future that's kind of where I am President John what's your thoughts do you defend Iron Fist episode 7 of season 2 Morning of the Mindstorm yeah I think like you guys um, I'm on the edge here of defend and dare I say it I think the episode is on the edge of glory in the sense that I think there's a lot that I really took away the second time I watched uh, this episode. I think if you had asked me after I'd watched it the first time, I would have kind of had a general disinterest. And obviously, I was knackered, so it was the wrong time of watching it. So I did fall asleep, and I came back to what I thought was a bit of a mind storm. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think there's a lot to like in this. And so I do defend it. I would give it three ninja beer mats out of five. Um, I think for me, the reason why I really like this is the treatment of Mary Walker um, and how you start to get this idea of her multiple identities having that conversation with themselves Mm -hmm. or wanting to initiate that conversation is really, really interesting. I love misty Knight's skepticism and for me the whole scenes with misty and nika prada were awesome especially given the the easter egg with professor erskine and you get that you know tantalizing emblem of colin wing's family on the bell uh, you see the scroll being unrolled and, and that story of what they need to do in order to regain the chi. So I think like you have said, uh, Derek, you know, there's a lot here being set up for the future. I think that the biggest one is, you know, have they left room for, for Ward's story here uh, with his sponsor? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that could really just not get the treatment that it deserves and get diluted really quickly with only three episodes left. And what needs to play out between Davos and Danny with the ledger uh, and, and potentially between Danny and Colleen as well. And I, I think that's the thing here is that, you know, depending on how this plays out, um, I do feel that all these great little things that put it on the edge of glory for me um, just got slightly undermined with um, Danny and Colleen potentially being in trouble as a couple because she's got a training backup or he's looking for training. Uh, You know, I think in my notes, I was like, why does he need Colleen to train him? He is or was a highly skilled martial artist. It doesn't link to episode two, hearing about the challenges that he had to face in terms of fighting other talented martial artists um including davos to get to shao lao uh, this to me is like he just needs to sharpen up his, his discipline and yeah. his training so it just felt like it undermined i think what the season has built a bit um but again like with luke cage you know the there's other things that will play out presumably in episode eight, nine, and ten. So I think you're right. I think a lot of this episode is it's difficult to judge until we see how it plays out because it is very much, I think, a transitionary episode of t- going from episode six 
through now into these final few episodes. So I do defend it for that reason. Mm -hmm. And I think I could defend it even more if it plays out really nicely. And so I do have faith that it will. Uh, But at the moment, um, you know, I do just defend uh, this episode of Iron Fist. Absolutely. Well, we want to know your thoughts, fellow defenders. If you want to email us with any of your thoughts about this episode or any of the previous episodes or any of the future episodes, email us to feedback at DefendersTVPodcast.com. Go over to our Facebook group at Facebook.com slash groups slash DefendersTVPodcast and go on to our spoiler posts and tell us your thoughts. Love to know if if you're a fan of this episode, if there's things that you really liked about this episode that we didn't talk about, uh, please let us know. We hopefully have a bit of feedback that we're going to be dropping in here that we've gotten over on our Facebook group over the last few weeks as people have been watching the episodes. I completely forgot to put in feedback in episode six of the podcast. I completely forgot to edit it in. Uh, we did have feedback for for episode six and episode seven this episode. Uh, so I've held back the podcast this time so that it's uh, coming out a little bit later, but at least we get some feedback in. So apologies, fellow defenders, for an episode without any feedback at all. It wasn't intentional. Uh, our first piece of feedback came in from Jeff Childs over in the Facebook group. He says, on episode six, the scenes between Ward and Joy were so good. Ward should have told all of that sooner. Yeah, definitely. Uh, loved that you really do get a sense of sort of them having that cathartic moment where you really you feel Ward's pain and, you know, Joy provides her motivations as well. So you can see both sides of it. Mm-hmm. It's a shame that she uh, decides not to kind of just wrap her arms around him and, and vice versa. But uh, it's it's a great little scene that uh, yeah. between the two of them in the dojo. Yeah, really enjoyed that. And Jeff goes on to say, I loved the smile on Colleen's face when fighting the Crane Sisters. We need more Daughters of the Dragon. Yeah, definitely looking forward to seeing more of them together. Unfortunately, as I said during the podcast, I did misinterpret that smile. Uh, but once watching it again, I really, really enjoyed that, definitely. Yeah, Mike in Cleveland says, I can't believe this, but I'm all in now. I agree with Jeff Childs. The actor playing Colleen made that fight with the Crane sisters sizzle just with her facial expressions. I went from a 52-year-old man watching that moment to a 10-year-old kid back in the mid-70s watching a Saturday afternoon kung fu flick. Nice. Definitely. I think the Crane sisters fight and the fight between Colleen and the rhinos gang at the start as well in the kitchen of Mm -hmm. mr yip uh really really good um yeah some great uh fighting uh in in this episode yeah absolutely the season's been great had some great moments robert phillips says so walker is the more solid of the merry figures and mary doesn't seem all sweet and lovely plotting in the rain does she the many heart-to-hearts in this episode were well-placed, a way of expanding what we know about the personalities while waiting for the action to shift the story onwards, but done well. Rennie Carr, deserted warehouse, and lockdown apartments. I did half expect Misty to say on returning with the third sister something along the lines of, you may be the Crane sisters, but we are the Daughters of the Dragon. Maybe another time. Oh, that would have been a great bit of uh, dialogue. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, Robert. Um, yeah, that would have been cool. That would have been really, really yeah. cool. But yeah, I definitely agree. Uh, Walker is the more solid. And Mary, certainly, whilst not as um, proficient with a machine gun and a choking wire, certainly seems to want to keep Walker away for sure. Mm-hmm. Still on episode six, uh, Salima Kisler goes right at the end of the episode. There is an ad in the background for some luxury apartments coming 2016. It says 
Now, this could be something as simple as slowed or halted gentrification. But I'm wondering, is this what marks the show in the MCU timeline? In other words, pre-Sokovia Accords pre-snap nice yeah yeah i did Good notice spot. that yeah i did notice that in the episode i think i went straight for what you originally said uh Celine, that it could possibly just be a kind of a comment on the fact that they are trying to gentrify the area and it's not going as well as it planned possibly because of the gang wars that are going on obviously nobody really wants to move into luxury apartments when people are being killed on the streets obviously so perhaps uh, that just stopped me but i really like the idea that possibly we're back in time a little bit they do reference the incident obviously quite often in the netflix shows but they don't really reference much else and um, the fact that this show has had some reference to the sokovia accords or to sokovia uh, at least does show that they have they have some connection there, but we don't know that connection just yet. Yeah, definitely. Um, on to episode seven feedback. Uh, Robert Phillips goes, so it turns out that Davos is collecting a mini Viper gang and that Joy is happy to lie to anyone and bravely at that mm -hmm. to get to where she wants to be. Ward on discovering accidentally that he may be a father was amazing. The layered nature of the character in these shows is very, very impressive. Mm -hmm. While the new sensei may be an excellent teacher, I bet Danny's physiotherapist would be cross if they found out the exercises he had been doing. <laughs> yes, I'm sure they would be. Um, yeah, I would love to see that scene of Danny's physiotherapist coming on in uh, and basically telling him off. I know, I know you've got a fantastic brace on your leg, <laughs> but that doesn't mean you can kick a wall, Danny, you know? <laughs> be a great moment. Yeah, they really have done such a great job this season with uh, with Ward and, and the layering of all of the characters, really. It's just always good for a second season to give you different things that you don't expect from uh, your characters that you've seen in season one. So um, really enjoying the story arcs that, are, that have been in here. Yeah, definitely. And yet Joy has certainly... Uh, change since season one mm -hmm. uh, with her ability to wrap Davos around her finger. Again, her motivations and ultimately which side is she on are still a little cloudy here, I think. Mm. But I have to say, Jessica Stroop in the role is so good at pretending. Yeah. Like, there are times when she's saying these lines to Davos and you're going, is she being swayed to his side? I've said that myself as well, where I'm yeah. listening to her going, saying these things and going, Joy's turning on everybody? Oh, no, she's not. This is She is playing the act. She's just doing a really good job at it, really enjoying it. And finally, for episode seven, Selena Kislar says, I have crazy theories spinning out of the Sokovia mention. Could Mary be one of the survivors of Strucker's experiments? Does that make her a mutant? Interesting. The mm. MCU still does not have the word mutant back uh, just yet. Uh, if they ever get the rights for X-Men back, they might. But... Um, Yes, I think I speculated that possibly Mary was another person that was captured by Strucker uh, during that scene back in Captain America's Civil War, I, I want to say, uh, is the, the post credit scene where Strucker was in it. Uh, and then it led into Age of Ultron. Would that be Civil War? Or Winter Soldier? Possibly, Win possibly Winter, Winter Soldier. Soldier. Yeah. Gosh, I have to go back and watch all those movies again. What a terrible life I have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you. Keep those theories coming in, Salim. Uh, really good to hear your thoughts there on Mary. It would be awesome if she were a mutant. And certainly it would be nice to have some kind of flashback to Strucker. Yeah, I think uh, I really enjoyed his 
presence in the MCU, uh, even though it was cut short. Uh, Gone too soon. Yes. Gone too soon. But we have seen him over in, uh, over in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, a couple of times. Uh, they have used the an actor or they've used a younger person playing a young Strucker over there as well. So uh, that's always been fun. Thanks so much for all of your feedback. We can now announce, because we finished recording it, that we had an interview with uh, Chio Hadari Coker, the showrunner for Luke Cage Season 2. And it was fantastic it was a really really fun interview yeah and season one as well well of course yeah. yes yes we talked. really good fun interview just such a knowledgeable guy about what he does and what his vision is for luke cage uh, really superb mm-hmm. yeah so good uh, that'll be out on this feed and on the uh, luke cage feed later on this week uh, once i get the chance to put it up there he's a really really interesting guy hopefully you enjoy the interview i think i could have talked to him for another four hours it was so good oh absolutely um it could have been a four hour chat mm-hmm. yeah 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 i want to be in the writer's room now let's say uh, thanks so much fellow defenders for all your feedback as always and check out that episode when it comes out Thank you so much for that feedback, guys. Fingers crossed we actually got some in there. Hey, Derek. Mm-hmm. <laughs> of course, we would always love to hear from you, but as always, we love a bit of written review as well. So if you can, pop on over to Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts and share the love by sharing the podcast and leaving us an old review. You can subscribe to us over at DefendersTVPodcast.com where you have a link to anywhere the good old podcast it hosted. So Chris, I know you're not going to be here for our next episode, which is our review of Iron Fist Season 2, Episode 8, Citadel on the Edge of Vengeance, because you're off having a little bit of a break, right? I am. I'm going to be going into work on my chi and focusing it in and <laughs> sitting and meditating on a beach. Nice. Uh, I lie, I'll be drinking a, much like Ward, sitting at the bar beside the beach, <laughs> uh, meditating on my... Um, my old bourbon there. Nice. Yeah. nice. Get a Henry McKenna if you can, Chris. Tell us what you think. Mm-hmm. I will try. Uh, worst case scenario, I'll be doing a good old uh, Jessica Jones and just drinking anything that they throw my nice. way. Top shelf, middle shelf, bottom shelf. Excellent. Yeah. Have a good time, Chris. We'll obviously talk to you on our review of Iron Fist Season 2, Episode 9, when we get back to recording that one. Thanks so much for joining us, fellow defenders. Yes, thank you so much. And I'll speak to you guys in two episodes. Mm-hmm. As always, thank you so much, fellow defenders, for joining us. It is a pleasure speaking with you. I came in for the eggs and I stayed for the ambience. Uh, and I hope you did too, fellow defenders. Uh, we will be back with our lovely ambience on Defenders TV podcast next time. Bye. <laughs>